Well, thank you so much, choir and orchestra. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, church, and let's turn in our next uh, to series, or our next message in this series, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And today we're going to talk about the importance of being a godly example. How many of you are country music fans? Just raise your hand if you're a country music fan. Don't be afraid. We're not going to judge you. But uh, country music. Oh, there's a lot of you. And, and uh, I kind of turn it on every so often. We'll listen to country music. And here's why I like country music from time to time. Is I, love, I love the stories. I wonder where they come up with some of these stories. But there was one I was listening to the other day. And I, and I, I can identify with this. Not totally, but, but basically the underlying thing was kind of fit my sermon series. It was a description of an everyday family moment. And, and I'm ashamed to say it. I, I'm, not, I'm sorry, Lewis. I don't know who sang this song, but, but I, I, can, I can see the everyday family moment. He's, he's talking about he's, he's got a little boy in the car with him. He stops his truck too fast. The little boy's happy meal or whatever his drink spills, and he lets out a four-letter word, the little boy. And the song goes on to this dad's thinking about the fact, where did he learn that word? Let me read some of the lyrics. It's pretty interesting. He says, son, now, where did you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. How many of y'all know this song? Or you've heard this maybe. Y'all should just only listen to Christian music. I don't know what's going on in this church, but no, this, this, this actually has a great sort of Christian lesson in it. Listen, I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. We got back home. And I went to the barn, and I bowed my head, and I prayed real hard and said, Lord, please help me, my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed, and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, Son, now Where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all of my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug. And said, my little bear is growing up. He said, but when I'm big, I'm, I still know what to do. Because I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Now that song uh, packs a punch, doesn't it? Because it describes the importance, the critical importance of setting the right example. Now, let me just tell you, you are setting an example. You are, like I was talking about, discipleship is not an option. Well, 
discipleship is uh, really something you can't escape. You're discipling the next generation that watches you one way or the other. You just might not be discipling them in the right direction. It might not be a godly discipleship. Now, godly is sort of an old-fashioned word. We don't really know what, what it means sometimes. We just think maybe that's what the preacher is supposed to be or whatever. But, but godly just is, is that kingdom idea of someone who is really under the rule of God in their life. And the example that you set is being watched. And if it is a godly example, it is a life worth imitating. And the scripture doesn't leave us as parents in particular much room. We are to live a life worth imitating, worth following. And the cost of not doing that is tremendous. Last week I talked about uh, the Shema, this wonderful part of Deuteronomy that the Israelites would have memorized on their way into the promised land and, and how important Moses thought that it was. And he handed them off to Joshua and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then train your, ch- your children everywhere you go. And, it, and we talked about how important that was. But let me read a verse. One generation after crossing the Jordan into the promised land, one generation, Judges 2.10 says, in all that generation were gathered to the fathers... And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. One generation. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? It doesn't take long. I was reading just yesterday that in the last 10, 20 years, it's gone from about 68% of people who claim to attend church now to below 50% of Americans. We are becoming a nation of nuns that have no sort of spiritual connection. There are generations rising up who do not know God or what he has done. Now, what we need to look at as a church and what we need to look at as families is are we setting the kind of example or is our example something that's actually pushing them away from God? Are they looking at us and seeing our lives and actually picking up that we truly don't believe what we say we believe? It is so important that we evaluate our own lives and that we do the hard work of setting an example worth imitating, worth following. Paul said as he was getting ready to part the church, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, even among the church and the leadership, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then he, he passes along to Timothy, where we're going to read in a moment. He says, Timothy, I'm departing the scene. It is so critical for you to lead a life worth following, to set an example worth imitating. He says in, in chapter 4, if you're there, you can look at this. Verse 1 says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, this is not a, this is not a, a neutral territory that we're living in. There are deceitful spiritual entities that are behind all sorts of things that impact us as families, and there are teachings that are really motivated and directed by the demonic. And what's, 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 kind of scary about all of this 
is that into the midst of this spiritual uh, deception and all the challenges that we face, the Bible looks at us as parents and grandparents and leaders in the church. He looks at us and says, one of the key ways God is going to combat the spiritual warfare is through you setting a godly example. Your example is critical. My example is impacting my children and my, and, and my grandchildren to be and the generations to come are going to be impacted by the decisions I make today. It will set into motion generations of effects. So we got to think about what's my, God, what's my example? Is it a godly example? You say, well, I just don't know if I can do that. Listen, what, here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, Paul says something. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. I bet if I took a poll of how many of you would, would feel comfortable in turning to your children or other people's children and say, listen, you can imitate the way I live, the way I talk. Imitate me. He says this several times in the New Testament. And the reason that Paul was willing to say, imitate me, follow my teachings, follow the traditions I'm setting, watch, uh, setting, watch how I act, listen to the words I use, is because Paul knew that he was imitating who? Jesus. He says, you follow me as I follow Christ. We say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He had his act together. No, Paul said Paul wasn't perfect. Jesus was. And Paul says, this is how it's going to work. Jesus gave us his example. We're following him. And then we bring others along and say, listen, you follow and try to imitate me as I'm trying to imitate Christ. I'm going to fail, but he doesn't. And so he sets this uh, standard. And you say, well, I'm not sure I've made it far enough where I can do the job. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.12 before this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul didn't think he was perfect. That's not why he said imitate me. He just knew this was the prescribed method. He said, Jesus passed it to us. He passed the baton to us, and he says, this is how it's going to go. He did it to the Israelites. Now he's done it to the church. You have to set the example. He says, I'm not there yet, but I press on. He says in Philippians 3.12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I think where we get lost sometimes is we think we've got to have perfection that people need to imitate. But what Paul says is that you're watching me press on. Timothy, watch me as I press on towards godliness, press on towards the kind of life If we're really honest, I think the reason generations sometimes fall away is because the parents, the grandparents, we stop pressing on. We stop pressing forward. One of our core values here is growth over what? Status quo. We're not there yet. Are you still pressing on? Paul makes uh, one of our favorite passages if, you, if you've, you've heard it, 
Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul, ask the questions of your family. Who do they worship? Do they rejoice in the Lord? That's an important question. Who do your children worship? Then he goes on and he says, Don't be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication. All right, then that asks the question. All right, is my family a praying family? I know they're a worshiping family. Are they a praying family? And then in verse 8, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, all those things he says, Think on these things. So you need to ask yourself, how do my children worship? Is, my, is my, my family a praying family? And what do they think about? But then he gets to the last part, verse 9, and this is the scary part for you and me. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice those things. Repeat those things. And the God of peace will be with you. I think the question I'm asking you this morning is, who do your children imitate? Who do they imitate? Well, they're going to look a lot like you. They're going to look a lot like you. And this passage uh, is a powerful reminder that the everyday family needs to have people in it setting examples worth imitating. Worth imitating. Well, Paul, let's turn to this passage and let's look at three sort of exhortations or reminders that Paul gives Timothy because he's passing it along to Timothy and he says, I'm going to die, Timothy. I'm going to go out. Now they're going to have to start looking at you. Live a life worth imitating Timothy. It's too critical not to. Live a life worth imitating. Here's the first reason. A godly example is powerful. That's why Jesus put this system into work. A godly example is powerful. And and I know as a parent, sometimes you just think it's not making a difference. Because we're broken people and our kids are broken, our grandkids, we come in broken spiritually and we're trying our best to set a godly example and they seem to be running the other way. Don't worry. There's great power in a godly example. You focus on pressing on as a godly follower of Jesus Christ. That's your deal. You press on and set the example. Look how powerful it is. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy, you teach the others, the brothers in Christ, the ones you're discipling, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So what you have followed, put before the other brothers, that will make you a good and godly servant of Christ Jesus. He says, but you've got to be careful, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, let's say this together, train yourself for godliness. Say, well, that's a pastor. No, that's that's all. Train yourself for godliness. Why is that so important? Look at verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. 
In case you weren't sure he believed it, look at verse 9. He says, that saying is trustworthy and deserving of your full attention. A godly example is powerful in this life and in the life to come. It holds promise. Does it mean your kids are going to follow that? Does it mean your grandkids are going to follow that? No, it doesn't mean it. But it has great power and impact. How you live your life is being watched, and it is a powerful example. Uh, you know, I, I like to play golf, and, and, and my, two of my sons in particular have kind of picked that game up. And so throughout their life, we would go to the driving range, and we would hit balls. And guess who they kind of hit a golf ball like? A little bit like me. Why? That's who they were watching. One of my favorite golfers, Phil Mickelson, is a left-handed golfer. But what's funny is he's right-handed in every other way. It's how he throws balls and how he writes. He's a right-handed person, but for some reason he plays left-handed. You know why he plays left-handed? Because as a little boy, his dad was a really, really good golfer, and he would stand face-to-face with his dad and imitate his swing. So his dad was right-handed, and as he's imitating his right-handed, his right-handed dad's swing, he ended up swinging left-handed. To me, that's, that's kind of what your kids are doing in the way you speak, in the way you act. They're watching you, and they want to be like you. And they're going to end up kind of swinging the club a little like you do if you're not careful. Now, fortunately, Phil Mickelson's dad was a really good golfer. So Phil Mickelson has won 80-some tournaments, he's, I think, and he's, he's made millions and millions of dollars because his dad knew what he was doing and was setting the right kind of golf example. But golf is only going to just get you a little bit in this life, right? Just think about the spiritual example. In a golf swing, um, I learned to play golf from my grandfather. So when I would go to my granddaddy's house, he would take me out in the backyard, and he, would, he was big into the rhythm. He had retired, and he had a really slow golf swing. And if I'd get up there and try to hit it hard, he'd say, don't do that, don't do that. He'd say it nicer than that. But he'd say, just don't do that. Swing easy. Let the club do the work. And so I have a long rhythmic golf swing. I wish you could see it right now. It's no comments, no comments, no comments. It used to be <laughs> rhythmic. <laughs> but it, because my grandfather stood there and said, don't swing hard. Rhythm is so important. Your children are watching the rhythms of your life. What are the rhythms of your life? Do you have a rhythm of spending time in God's Word? Do you have a rhythm of coming to church? I tell young parents that is the key to having kids that don't drive you crazy is have rhythms, have a a regular rhythm and regular schedules to your meals and to your sleep and to your church and to all those things. They thrive in that structure. Do you have rhythm in your swing? One of the most important parts of a golf swing is your grip. What are you gripping and how hold 
How tight are you holding on to it? They're watching. Your children are watching what you are holding on to. They're watching how hard you're holding on to it. They see what you've got a grip on and what you don't. What is it that's most important to you? Are you holding on to your money like this? Are you holding on to your power and authority like this? What is it? Are you holding on to Christ? They're watching the grip. What's your grip? One of the most important things in golf is your, your posture. And so I'd take the boys out and I'd say, they'd get up there and I'd say, you need to get in an athletic posture. You need to bend your knees. Your posture will really help you in your swing. What's your posture towards God? Are your knees bent? Do they see you pray? Do they hear you pray? Do you have the right posture towards God? What's your posture towards your neighbor? Are you, do you have a posture of love and helpfulness and generosity? What's your posture towards the driver that just cut you off on the road? I'm starting to meddle now, aren't I? What's your posture towards the preacher, <laughs> the, governor, the government? What's your posture towards your church? They're watching, they're listening. I used to get behind the boys because even if you have the best swing in the world, if you're aimed wrong, it doesn't do you much good. And so one of the key things in the golf swing is alignment. And so I'd get behind them and I'd say, all right, that's right. It's a straight line between your swing path there and the, you're good. Your alignment is good. And even now it drives them crazy. I'll stand up there and it goes, you're aiming in the woods. They'll say, stop talking to me, Dad. Let me swing. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Just trying to help. You know, you need some help. You need some help with your alignment. I need some help with my alignment. Sometimes I'm a little off. You ever a little off? Who's helping you with your alignment? Who will get there and say, you know... You're heading the right direction. Your children need you to help them aim at the right things in life. Or they're going to hit it into the wrong fairway. They're going to hit it into the woods. They're going to hit it into the rough. I know I'm using all these golf terms, but are you all following me? To me, you've got to think like this because they're watching you swing. They're watching you play every day. You're pre- you are setting for them a godly, a, an example of some sort, and you, you just need to be pressing on. You, it doesn't matter if you ever play a round of golf. I would suggest maybe you don't. It's a frustrating game. But I would really encourage you, there is nothing more critical than pursuing the right stance with God, the right posture, the right alignment with the kingdom of God. Are you going the way, the truth, and the life? Are you you heading towards the fairway, the narrow way? Are you following Christ? It's powerful. Look at verse 16. He says, keep A close watch on yourself, Timothy, because you can get out of alignment if you're not careful. Check yourself. 
Timothy didn't have cell phones, but we got cell phones now. And so, you know what the boys will do? They'll tape themselves swinging club. Sometimes they'll tape old dad from behind. I thought I looked a lot more athletic than that. I just really felt like it looked better than that. No wonder it doesn't go straight. I need to keep a check on myself. I need to evaluate myself. And my teaching. What am I teaching? Am I teaching right? And, and this is, it says, persist in this, for by doing so, look at the power of your example. You will both save yourself and your what? Your hearers. Godly discipleship is not an option for an everyday family. It is powerful. Powerful. But notice that last word, that word there, persist in this. The second thing I want you to see, Paul's making it very clear to Timothy, it's not easy. Setting a godly example is hard work. You're not naturally doing it. You need to understand that. You are naturally doing what your parents did for you. And they may, they may have been out of alignment. Their rhythm may have been terrible. So you need to, you need to ask yourself, am I, do I need to redesign my swing according to Scripture? I need to work on that. I need to go to the driving range spiritually. I need to repeat, and I need to read God's Word and study God's Word because look at the things that he tells uh, Timothy he's got to do. Look at verse 10. Here's what he's telling us I think we need to do for our families. For to this end, now this is, this is hard work. For to this end, verse 10, we toil and strive because we have set our hope, uh, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Timothy, you're going to have to command these things and teach these things, verse 11. Then verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity until I come look at this heart devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching toil strive train a godly example is not it's not coming natural to you it's not coming natural it requires work why well, you are, you are encouraged, and I think the Scripture teaches you as parents, you've got to train yourselves continually. Train yourselves continually. Are you continuing to build and grow your spiritual life, or you become content? Continue to study God's Word. Continue to find a life group or a small group you can do life with. Watch things. There is a world of wonderful teaching out there. Watch things. Read books. Continue to build in your spiritual life. Why is that so important? Look at the second thing. He says you are to communicate God's truth accurately. Accurately. And you need to communicate it. You need to speak God's truth. Now, I get and double-check myself, and I really, when I get up here to preach and to teach to you, I ask the Lord, God, please don't let me say something 
That's not accurate. I really want it to be an accurate teaching of God's Word. And I know sometimes maybe it's not, but I just pray. And I work hard because you're looking at me, and I'm communicating to you God's truth. And I want to do it accurately. And you have to have that same kind of passion for the coming generations in your home. You say, well, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have a seminary. But if you couldn't do it, then God didn't know what he was doing. Does God know what he's doing? He gave the family, the everyday family, the job of discipling the next generation. The church comes alongside of you to help along in that process. Oh, but here's the, so, here's the scary one. Look at that. He says you not only have to train yourselves continually, communicate God's truth accurately, you've got to live it out with integrity. Look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. He could have left off one of these. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Our speech, you know, reveals our heart. Become sensitive to what comes out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth and the way it comes out, guess what it's diagnosing? Your heart. Listen to yourself. Your speech reveals your heart. Your conduct reveals whether you believe what you say. It kind of is that integrity check Is your conduct a reflection of your speech? Love is the motive that causes you to be willing to sacrifice and and follow through on these things for the coming generations. To love not just in a family type love, but in a sacrificial, agape type love that uh, uh, is forgiving and and kind, uh, but also Uh, will be tough when it needs to be tough. He says you need to be an example in your love for God, your love for your neighbor, your love for your family. And he says you need to be an example in faith. What is faith? Faith is obeying God no matter what. It's obeying God and taking action whether you can see uh, evidence that would compel you to do it or not. You just are trusting God's word. You're trusting that if you'll live this way, give this way, uh, teach this way, and, and walk this way, you're trusting that God knew what he was doing when he commanded us to do that. So you're just giving your future to God and obeying God now with that kind of confidence. And then purity. Purity. They need to see you fighting the battle with sin. They need to see you fight the battle with sin and temptation in your own life. Can I just encourage you, don't try to fake purity or fake spiritual perfection. You know when you do that with your kids, even your adult kids, you set up, you set them up for great heartache. And here's why. They're fighting sin, they're fighting temptation, And they're wondering why you're not. And they're wondering why you seem to have never had an issue. 
And so they begin to question if God loves them or God's in their lives or God's willing to help them. What they need to do is see you pressing on, see you setting goals, see you sharing your challenges. You have to be appropriate in what you share, in particular the age, the age groups. You, but little by little, you, you let them know that you're fighting off the temptation of covetousness and greed, that you're fighting off lust, that, that these are things that are hitting all of us. And you say, all right, son, uh, this is how I fight this. This is how I fight that, I fight that battle. Let's do this together. I'll help you. I have overcome this. I am working through this, but I'm not perfect. But I'm telling you, with God's help, we can make it through this. Right? They need to see you pressing on. Been lifting some weights with one of my sons for the last three months, can you tell? But anyway... But we'll do the bench press, right? And we'll spot one another. And it's kind of fun when they get up to 18, 19 years old and they're getting muscles, man. They're getting strong. They're like, I know I got dad now. And man, we get under there and I put on, I said, what'd you lift? What'd you get? Leave it on there. And they spot me, you know, and they're, he's just watching me fight the weight, and lift. My sons don't need to see me walk in and pose. They need to watch me press. They need to see me press the weight, not pose. Because they know I'm struggling. Dad, how do I, how do, I do this? Mom, those girls are struggling. They're struggling with identity, with the way they look. They need to know how you're handling it. You say, well, I'm not handling it very well. Let them know. Let them see you work through that. Let them see you get some help. Don't let them see you stop pressing. And don't let them see you faking it. Because they will look right through it. Live it out with integrity. And can I just end with this? Being a godly example like that is humbling. Look what Paul told Timothy in verse 14. He said, do not neglect the gift within you. You're going to want to give up. And in 2 Timothy, he challenges Timothy. He says, you've got to keep going. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. Don't stop pressing. Don't give up. I know the people that you're trying to disciple, Timothy. Some of them are going this way and some of them are going the right way. Don't give up. Don't neglect the gift you've been given. Parents, don't neglect the gift of that child. Don't neglect the opportunity that you have. And you've been given the ability, if you will lean into Christ, lean in His Spirit, and, and, and listen, if you need help, I, I, I kind of missed this, but it's, it's, inc- it's incredibly important. Look at verse 13. Back up a little bit. Verse 13 We're not to parent isolated and alone. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. You are to do this in the context of a community, the context of a church. We have a wraparound ministry for foster families here, but I I really look at our entire church as a wraparound ministry for all families. We come alongside 
Matt Chandler writes this. He says, in this respect, the role of the church is to help disciple children by coming around parents and caregivers with love, support, accountability, and prayer. Faithful brothers and sisters provide additional voices of truth for children, not to assume parental influence, but rather to supplement and strengthen it. The church family also takes care of the spiritual orphan. They draw in those without believing parents and teach them the ways of God. Many of us first heard the gospel from a camp counselor, teacher, coach, small group leader, or friend who loved us enough to share. Discipling the next generation is a community undertaking. Being a parent and having our own children to raise does not relieve you of the responsibility to help other children and families in your community come to know God as well. I had a wonderful time yesterday. My older boys basically grew up in Marietta. So we were in Marietta yesterday for a wedding shower for my third son. He's getting married in July. Guess who came to that? A lot of the people who helped form him as a child. These were church people who, who influenced his life. I thank God for them, don't you? We need a church. We need friends to help us press on. And to help us influence our children moving forward. But then jump ahead. Back to uh, a godly example. It's humbling. In verse 15 he says, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that they all may see your progress. A lot of times we don't want to show where we are and where we need to be because of pride. But I think it just blesses your family for you to say, Here, Here's where I am spiritually. Here's where I want to go. Watch me as I press on towards Christ. Let's do this together. This is where we are as a family. This is where we need to be. Let's work through this. Let's press on. Let's fight this battle. It is worth it. It's humbling. Sometimes when I swing the golf club out there and my two golfing sons are looking at me, they'll go, Dad, that was pitiful. You know what they call it? They said, that was your old man swing. <laughs> Ouch. That's when I just, I'm tired, and I'm tight, and I just don't, I don't fully go after it. They said, Dad, you better than that. That's your old man swing. I hate when I do that, but it really doesn't bother me. You know what I hate? Is when I speak like the old man. Not an old man but the old David Chauncey. I'm a new creature in Christ. And there are things that I do that don't reflect the new David. The, the old speech. The old anger. They probably need to point that out, and I ask them sometimes, would you tell me? I can be very critical. And that's, old, that's the old David criticism. Don't let me do that. I'm better than that. I want to be better than that for you. Don't let the old spiritual person that's dead be reflected. And when it is, let them see your progress. Confess it, repent of it, say you're sorry, and then fight and press on to be better. Because a godly uh, a godly example is critical, and let's set it 
and let's live one that's worth imitating. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, how's your swing? How's your posture towards the Lord personally? Check your grip. What is it that you care most about? Do they see that you're gripping on to things that don't last, or are you gripping on to Jesus? What do they see? What's your alignment? What's your goal? Where's your aim? What are you swinging for, parents, grandparents? What's your goal? They're watching. Follow Jesus as they follow you. Father, I just thank you so much for the challenging word that this is for all of us. And like the Apostle Paul, we're not there yet, but we are pressing on. Pressing on. Help us set godly examples. And we know we're not perfect, but you have commanded us to do this anyway. And help us be, not be prideful, but be humble in this work as we lead and guide our families, our everyday families, and as we help lead other families and their kids here, help us be a church that sets a godly example for the coming generations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.